HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode of Agave Road Trip is brought to you by Mezcal Ultramundo. Ultramundo is a Mezcal brand owned by a family without any real historic connections to Mezcal heritage. Instead, their connection is to nature. They own a 24,000-acre ranch that has been used to graze cattle. It's a beautiful wild place. Everywhere you turn, it's a sea of quiotes. Fresh quiotes, old quiotes, fallen quiotes, just sprouting quiotes. And specifically from Miguel Lamparillo, variety that takes something like 15 to 18 years to reach maturity. Now, there's a lot to talk about with this brand, but I'm reluctant to do that because whatever I say will divert your attention from what I believe is the truly important story, those 24,000 acres of wild agave. You know, we spend a lot of time in this industry talking about sustainability, but the truth is any spirit being shipped out of the community in which it's made isn't truly sustainable. The fossil fuels needed to make the glass bottles and to physically ship them aren't sustainable. So no brand of spirit you're drinking is truly sustainable. I tend to instead look for practices that move us as an industry, move us as a species closer to sustainability. And Ultramundo's harvesting practices are a great example of exactly that. The experts who visited their ranch have suggested that so long as they limit their annual harvest to no more than 80% of what reaches maturity, they'll have a self-sustaining supply of this long-growth agave. Every time I return to Oaxaca, more and more of it is monoculture espadine. Row after row after row of these farmed agave are replacing wildlands where so many diverse plants once thrived alongside so many diverse insects, animals, and bacteria. And I get it. I understand why that happens. And I'm not suggesting we should all stop drinking Oaxacan espadine, but I am saying we need to see more projects like Ultramundo, projects that preserve the biodiversity of our planet. Ultramundo is available now in the USA, everywhere via mail order for consumers, and at wholesale in California for bars, restaurants, and liquor stores. If you believe in preserving wildlands and believe in preserving biodiversity, but still want to drink delicious mezcal, please give Ultramundo a try. Learn more at ultramundo.mx. That's U-L-T-R-A-M-U-N-D-O dot M-X. So much of what we do creates a carbon wake that is, given the structure of our modern world, nearly unavoidable. 
but we can minimize that wake by making diverse choices. I am Chawa Periwan. And I'm Ryan Acock, the Cocktail MD. And this is Agave Road Trip, the award-winning, critically acclaimed podcast that helps Grink X bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and heart attack-inducing soju. <laughs> so this is something, Ryan, that is absolutely new to us. And this is uh, this happened post one of the episodes that we're recording. We're just talking about crazy stories that we're not going to repeat about some health <laughs> issues that Lou had. And then some... Uh, Parallels that you have found in prisons of the United States that we're also not going to talk about. Parallels. <laughs> My biggest problems are parallel to the biggest, ugliest things Ryan's ever seen in a prison. Yes. So congratulations, Lou. I'll send you a Thank little you. Uh, golden santo later on. But you mentioned something <laughs> that I, I think it's, it's really fascinating to me because I think uh, lately I've seen so many articles talking about how... Koreans and Japanese in particular are able to live long lasting happy lives and still be cognizant and in good shape till they get up to their 80s and 90s. And I've seen a bunch of different explanations to this. Some point out to fish, some others talk about, you know, like they, their consumption algae or, or ginseng. But you mentioned something that was uh, distinct. You mentioned sochu which I'm yeah. a big fan of. Right. So who cares about <laughs> diet and exercise over the course of your lifetime when you can just drink sochu and, and prevent heart attacks and strokes? Yes. Yes. So, all right, so let's get into that. Oh, prevent heart oh, attacks. Yes. It's not heart attack inducing. <laughs> Never mind. Keep going. No, no, wait, wait. And, and, even, and even we even get, get into that. You know what? When was the last time that I got the chance to love sochu even more than I already did? Do you remember our best friend in the world that owns Clavel and that it's single-handedly making Baltimore cool again? You had some when we were visiting Lane in Baltimore? No, she she, she has a specialized bar in all Japanese spirits and, and yeah. fermented drinks. And yeah. I was talking with her that in Japan, I was having a conversation with some people during the winter and they gave me hot water with sochu. And she was so, so like, she knew you so said much. that was hot water, yes? Not cod water? Hot? Uh, hot water, yes. Not it was cod hot. water, okay. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, hot water and sochu. So that's like sort of a tea that they drink during the winter there. And I thought that felt very healthy. So anyways, that's, that's my whole story about this. All right. So many years ago... I was at Tales of the Cocktail, and I was, went to a lecture on Sochu 101, and the speaker there said that Sochu is, is good for you, one, because it has no added sugar, which, fine, okay. And then he also said because it has urokinase in there so it can prevent strokes. And I just about fell out of my chair there that anyone would think that's a good idea. Whoa, whoa, so, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, it has yeah. what in there? Yeah, so that's what we're getting to. So there, there's a chemical called urokinase that breaks down blood clots. Many, many years ago, doctors used to use things like streptokinase, which is very similar, to try to prevent and treat heart attacks and strokes because it could break down a blood clot. So the idea is if you're actively having a stroke due to a blood clot in your brain, you mm -hmm. give streptokinase, you break down the clot, and then you start perfusing the brain with blood again. We don't use streptokinase anymore because it has so many side effects and all sorts of problems with it. 
And so when the speaker said, Soju has urokinase in it, you can use it to prevent strokes. I thought, what a ridiculous idea that you would want to start breaking down blood clots because you're making clots all the time in your body. You go and bump against something, you want to not bleed to death internally, so you're going to form a little clot from that. Or if you have a little uh-huh. little irritation of the lining oh. of your stomach, you're going to want a little clot on there to prevent you from bleeding from an ulcer in your stomach. Right, so... Your body isn't always some kind of homostasis where you're you're trying to form the right clots, but not trying to overclot where you would have a stroke. But at the same time, you don't want to form too little and bleed to death from something minor, <laughs> like a little bonk on the head. But, so but, that is that is I, where you are kind of, yeah. I, but I'd also <laughs> say, who in their right freaking mind who works in the industry of alcohol would ever go out on a limb and say, any of this stuff is healthy. That's crazy. Yep. That's so. That's what got me interested in the myths regarding alcohol or the tall tales regarding cocktails. That's what co- kicked off the whole cocktail MD thing. Was listening to this speech a few years ago and thinking that is absurd. Why would anyone start touting health benefits to their alcohol product? Oh, uh, but 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 such a specifically. Why do you think yeah. he, they they said that? I mean, yeah, I, we've heard we hear all the time how Mescal is going to save your life, and we've discussed this before. But why specifically? <laughs> such you will, will or such you will, will 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 do something for you. Yeah, so sochu in particular has something called urokinase in it. It does, in very small amounts. And so I found one article that took seventy-eight people, gave them sake, sochu, and beer. And then started measuring their blood afterwards to see how well their blood clotting was in the ensuing three and four hours. <laughs> and found that people in the Sochi group had better ability at breaking down blood clots than, what? say, the beer or the, the sake. Did they just start stabbing them with scissors? Is that no, the method? No, they're, no you draw blood and you run it through a test called a TEG and it's called a thromboelastogram, and it just mm-hmm. m- essentially measures how long it takes your blood to clot and how it clots mm-hmm. and how quickly it clots and so forth. So that's, that's how we do it. If you're, if you're taking a, chemo- a, a product called Warfarin or Coumadin, that is something that's used quite a bit in people who have, say, arrhythmias of the heart. They have to get repeated blood draws every few weeks to make sure that they're taking the appropriate amount of Coumadin. So that'd be a similar idea of you take blood from somebody and you just measure how long it's clotting and, and what its characteristics of clotting are. All right, so in this study, they found that people who drank sochu had more ability to break down blood clots than the beer and the sake. So that's an example of where some of these ideas of, well, you can just take this urokinase holding sochu and prevent you from getting a blood clot like a stroke in your in your brain, which that has never been tested before. No one has ever conducted a study of this group of people need to drink soju every day and this group of people need to drink whiskey every day and we'll see who gets a stroke or a heart attack. But, but do, you, do you think that will be a necessary study, Ryan? <laughs> if if you're going to go around making claims that soju is healthy for you because it contains urokinase, you better have some data to back up true human-level health benefits like I'm not having a stroke or a heart attack. Oh, Lord. And, and do you think that... Uh, like, have you seen this in any other forum in the sense that they they will talk about alcohol from the health benefits, like representatives of a brand or just people? Do you find this a common thing or patients that you see, do you do they often come to you with doubts around this? Like asking you so, which is the healthier approach 
to yeah, uh, usually when people come into the emergency room, they're not going to start asking me about alcohol and its health benefits. They're usually coming in because alcohol <laughs> did something terribly wrong to them that led them to winding up at the hospital. So, all right. So going on on about the like the the urokinase and preventing blood clots or at least breaking down blood clots, there was a similar study done that took twenty people and gave them wine, whiskey, or vodka, and and also measured their blood and saw what the clotting ability was and showed that. As you're drinking alcohol, your ability to form blood clots is diminished, which is great when you start thinking about, I want to prevent a stroke. Not so great if you're drunk and you're getting into bar fights. And so that was one of the thoughts <laughs> is if people are getting drunk and they can't form blood clots and now all of a sudden they're in some kind of trauma, like a car accident or a fight, they might bleed more. And you know what? I have seen quite a few drunk people with head bleeds before. And I now I'm thinking, did the alcohol contribute in, in any way to that? Although I'm sure it's pretty minimal compared to getting bonked on the head. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Jesus. Lou, any experiences that you might have had to attest to this? You you said you, you used to be famous for headbutting uh, things, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I was. Um, it was a thing that I did when I worked at Marvel Comics. We'd just all go out drinking um, and... Uh, and people would ask me to headbutt them. I don't remember how it started, but uh, I would just grab them and 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 yeah, and and hit their heads. And sometimes it made them pass out. Um, <laughs> and you know, piece of that is just I really do have a thick head. I'm from West Virginia, and I'm a bit inbred. And I think what? that all what, and I think that 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 all is related. Um, uh, but I'm sure you know that the, there was also just the you, you you feel fewer effects of pain when you've got alcohol in you. I think is probably or at least recognize fewer effects, or you can fight through them. And so I was just I just keep headbutting people. Okay, well sometimes knock the, out their teeth by accident. Oh Lord, I love this parenthesis. Now we can go back to Sochu. So Ryan, <laughs> <laughs> I guess one of the big questions that I have also around this is we are. And again, like this all started, I think, because I, I, I've been fascinated a lot with articles talking about how good is the health of people in Korea and in Japan. So yeah. do you think that there is any correlation about the quality? I mean, and, and they, they like to drink. I mean, I've been there. It's, there's nothing greater than than drinking with hey, old people in Japan. Hey but, God, they, they like to drink. Uh, yeah, like that is... That is such a like a cliche that clearly is not based on any research other than I'm in a bar and people apparently yeah, are yeah, drinking let me, here. Let me, let me <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, people in the on. bars Can where I, I was going at uh, late at night like to drink. As anywhere in the world. Shocking. You wouldn't expect to pe find people who like to drink in a bar late at uh, night. Anywhere in the planet. But do you think that somehow their alcohol... So racist. Oh, come on. <laughs> I will say that about... I've never been to a country that I will say that they don't like to drink. Uh, I've been very fortunate. So, well, Indonesia, but that's that's different. Um, yeah. Yeah, child, you can come with me to the Middle East and we can go around yes. Qatar or, yes. or Saudi Arabia and, <laughs> and see what your experience is there. Yeah, exactly. Like like Indonesia. Yeah, exactly that. They smoke, uh, they smoke a lot. They don't drink anything. So, but is there anything that you think that the great health of the people in these two countries has to do with the type of alcohols that they're drinking? Do you think there's any way in which we can correlate this? 
Well, we're, we're down this road anyway, so let's see what else is out there. So one thing that people worry about is, is high blood sugar or essentially diabetes. And that comes in a variety of forms when it comes to cocktails of various myths out there. So one thing that you see sometimes listed in food products is what's called the glycemic index. Mm. And that measures how quickly your blood sugar raises after you eat something. So for example, if you eat a slice of white bread, your blood sugar spikes faster than if you eat a slice of whole wheat bread. And so that whole wheat bread has a lower glycemic index. That is something that is somewhat important to diabetics who are trying to be diet controlled. And so you can look at glycemic index and try to get an idea of what is better for a diabetic person to eat. So if you look at different sugar sources like honey and maple syrup or just pure glucose, those all have a higher glycemic index than agave does. And so there's this idea of, well, let me add agave nectar to my drinks because it has a lower glycemic index and therefore I won't spike my blood sugar as high. The problem is agave still has tons of sugar in it. And so if you're going to drink... <laughs> So a beverage that has agave nectar in it, you're still going to have a jump in your blood sugar, especially if you're a diabetic. So latching onto that glycemic index is probably not a, a great idea, but it is where you sometimes might hear that agave is healthier for you than using just plain sugar or maple syrup to sweeten mm. your, your foods and your beverages. And, and, and putting the sweetener idea aside, if your sugar source for making alcohol is agave versus uh, grains, mm -hmm. but once, once it's all been fermented and distilled, that whole glycemic index is sort of out the window, isn't yeah, it? it like matter. it no longer matters? Yeah. And well, so here's what's crazy. I found one study that specifically looked at tequila and how it does on your body's insulin levels. And what it did is it took men and women and gave them either tequila or gave them either essentially neutral grain spirit like Everclear and followed them for several weeks to see what their fasting insulin levels were. And, and for some reason, in postmenopausal women, they had better cholesterol and better fasting insulin on the tequila than they did on the Everclear. It didn't hold true at all for men, but for <laughs> these postmenopausal women. So, so Lou, for like the, the two postmenopausal women who listen to this podcast, tequila. <laughs> I don't think two better. people listen to this podcast, <laughs> let alone two postmenopausal women. Anyway, oh, that's really interesting, though. Yeah. Any idea, like, was, did it speculate as to why those specific people? would have uh, those outcomes? Yeah, so the, the article never got into a mechanism of why that is, because if you think about tequila, there's already not much sugar left over from mm. the fermentation of the agave. So it's not like that glycemic index uh, should even matter at this point. And so then you have to worry about things like, are these just a natural chance that happened to occur in these, in these people? Because this was a small study. It, it took only like eight people that was involved in oh. it. And so, well, so, so point, one yeah. happened to be a postmenopausal <laughs> woman, woman, and she just happened to have a better diet than everybody else. Maybe. Yeah. And so, right. And, and it doesn't, con no. uh, it doesn't have what we call confounders. So there might be a confounder of those women who had a better diet control anyway than the mm. men who were involved in the study. So take for what it is. It's out there. It is a published article that said that drinking tequila in postmenopausal women helped their insulin levels. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. I, I'm now very confused of how we're going to conclude this episode. Is there any conclusion, Lou, that you can think of? <laughs> uh, uh, my conclusion is, uh, if you intend to be stabbed uh, by a scissors, don't drink sochu. Yeah. <laughs>
that, that is a, a good note to go on. <laughs> yeah, so, so Chava, right, there are various ideas out there, and there are papers to back it up of can alcohol or certain types of beverages like sochu help with your blood sugar, help you with preventing blood clots? Uh, can we take agave containing spirits and have an anti-inflammatory property? Like, sure, they all exist, but they're all small studies mm. involving, you know, 10 or 20 people. And can we generalize that to millions of people who are going to be drinking these spirits? Probably not. Yeah. And so if you do read a newspaper article or a magazine article that talks about health effects of alcohol, there is some research to sometimes back that up, but not great research and nothing that as a doctor I would ever prescribe to people and say, this is what you should be doing. Well, you're making me very sad, Ryan. And that is my conclusion for the episode. Absolute sadness. And uh, I had a little bit of hope still, you know, even if we've been asking these questions over and over again over these episodes, I, I still had a little bit of hope that maybe Japan was going to save us in this one. But no. OK, I'm, you know. I, it was worth a try. So uh, thank you very much, Ryan, again. And thanks, Lou, for bringing all your beautiful stories into the mix. <laughs> <laughs> Catch you guys next episode. See ya. Adiosito. Thank you. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lou Bank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Eat responsibly too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.